Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I am the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Pauvi Tiagi, and she worked as an engineer in the automotive industry before transitioning to marketing. She's also host of the Your Digital Marketing Journey podcast. I'm curious to find out more about her life as an engineer, the motivation to become a marketer, and her podcast. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, <laughs> Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, I was about to call you by your last day. I was like, I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're friendly like that. <laughs> so, you know, I, I did mention, well, I actually didn't mention, but from the bit of research I did on you, I saw that you got your undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering. So what was the motivation to get that degree? Well, I sort of drifted into mechanical engineering, to be honest. I did want to become an engineer, but I wanted to become a computer engineer because that's the subject that I understood. Um, and uh, somehow I just didn't get through to that. But I went, when I went into mechanical, um, I'm a positive person. So I looked on the bright side and I thought that um, at least being in mechanical, I can look at things, I can look at the problems, uh, you know, work with something tangible. So um, that's how I went into mechanical and I had a great time, four years of studying uh, lots of different subjects. Was never a very good student, but at least I enjoyed what I studied. A few months ago, I interviewed a woman from Greece and she says in that country, at least, you have to take this exam before you go to school. And this exam actually determines what you're even allowed to study. So based on the test or based on the grade that you get on that test, that determines whether you can study computer engineering or mechanical engineering. And I remember thinking that's so crazy. It was, is it like that in India too? Or you just decided the computer wasn't for you and mechanical was going to be it? No, that's how it, exactly how it is in India. And that's why I didn't get through to computers. Oh man, oh. this again? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I remember hearing that it, when she was telling me, I was just like, this is the craziest shit I've ever heard in my life. What do you mean? This test determines your whole life? I was like, man. Like you need to get out, man. That's crazy. Okay, well, sorry, man. But luckily, it messed, it worked out for you. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did work out. So like I said, you know, look on the bright side. At least I've got into engineering. I wanted to become an engineer, so I got that. Yeah, you got engineered. Yeah, engineers and whatever <laughs> you got. So yeah, you absolutely. You're a glass half full person. So that's a good way yeah. to look at things. So I also noticed from the, the from the from the. The, the 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 research I did on you that you also got a master's in automotive engineering was that something you were able to pick or did you actually have to do a test to to, to be able to do that too? Um, no, so the only test in that was to determine which college I went to. Uh, but uh, no, I picked uh, automotive engineering, and I specifically wanted to go to Germany because you know it is the place for automotive. Um, so yeah, I got to pick that. I got to pick the college. Um, and uh, especially when you're studying in Germany, it's important to pick a course that is in English if you're not very good with German. So I was able to do that. So I went there. Nice. So what was it like? What was the kind of the, the, the transition from going from India 
to to moving to Germany? Was it was there a lot of culture shock? Um, I think as a student, the culture shock is lesser because all students across the world are short of money, short of resources, and you know are kind of just scraping their uh, scraping through life. So I don't think the culture shock was that much. But um, definitely moving abroad and you know living with other people uh, of different countries and you know kind of understanding how um, lots of people function together, I think that was a great experience. And I'm thankful that I actually uh, lived abroad as a student, and then I also lived abroad uh, when I was adult and I had more money. So I'm I'm grateful for both the experiences. Yeah, you know I, I experienced something similar when I was in graduate school. I had a Turkish roommate, Attila. Mm -hmm. He's watching. What's up? But you know. When, when I remember, so apparently I didn't, well, I, I found this out later, but there has, there has been, I guess, historical tension between Greece and Turkey. And so I remember one day I was talking about uh, baklava and I always thought it's a, it's a dessert. And I always thought it was a, it was a, a Greek dessert. And I remember mentioning this to him and he was, he got very upset. That's <laughs> 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 like, no, no, it's Turkish. I was like, they stole it from us. I was like, all right, all right man. I ain't trying to start no, to start no problems. But, you know, but it, it was interesting to learn, you know, to live with people from different cultures, different countries, and just learn about those different cultures and countries too. So anyone watching, That's hey, so true. not exactly sure what baklava is. It either, either it's Turkish or Greek, but whatever it is, it's delicious. So, uh, <laughs> so I mentioned that you, you worked as an engineer for a while, but then you decided to, to go into marketing. So maybe you could talk a bit about the work that you did as an engineer and then the reason that you decided to move into marketing instead. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I worked as an engineer for about 10 years, I think, um, and across different countries. I started with an internship in Germany, then um, worked for a couple of years in India and then moved to Australia. And, uh, that was really my longest stint. Um, so I guess I, as all engineers, you start at the bottom. So, um, when I was working in India, I was, uh, we were working for clients in Germany and we were literally the third, um, third tier three supplier. So a lot of the work that we did was a uh, very small scale. Um, when I moved to, uh, Ford in Australia, because we were the topmost, like we were making the car. Um, the work that I did was a lot more uh, managerial. So a lot of the, like I had a bird's eye view of the project. I knew which car I was working on when it was being released. And I had a specific job in that particular car. So through the life cycle of that car for about two, two and a half years, that's what I was working on. And what, then working with different teams, working with the safety team or working with you know the business team or working at different countries, thinking about where that car is going to launch. So that kind of uh, really helped to look at um, automotive from a much bigger perspective and not just essentially what my role is um, and, you know, kind of understand how, uh, how a car rolls out. So um, that was about, you know, like I said, about eight years um, at Ford Australia. And um, I think around that time, I kind of started feeling that I was uh, a little bit pigeonholed into the, into the job that I was doing. So automotive is a very restrictive, um, not very restrictive, but it is quite a regimented industry. So there are very st set standards, very set processes. Uh, there's very little chance of making a mistake if you're you know, following the checklist and you know exactly what to do um, uh, once you follow the process and once you follow the checklist. So from that perspective, I felt that I don't have enough knowledge about what's happening in the world today especially from the technology point of view and uh, you know um, um, in the in, in sense of the general business point of view 
So um, around 2015 is when I actually launched my own startup. And if anybody has worked in a startup, you know that irrespective of what your title is, we are actually doing everything. You're literally doing everything. So uh, that was that experience where I was still at Ford, but I was still able to take out time and work on my startup. And somehow during that startup is where I developed an interest in marketing because I had to market my startup and I had to understand how to sell my product to someone uh, how to kind of you know uh, look at the benefits uh, and you know decide what what is this pitch that I'm going to do so, so that somebody buys my product. So that's how I kind of moved into marketing. And uh, once we moved back to India, I was lucky to get a job in marketing and actually implemented uh, at a university. And the university was new and they had new courses, so they had to market the courses in a very different manner. So that's how I've transitioned from from automotive into marketing. And uh, I mean now I'm a full time marketer. Wow. Okay. So what was the, the startup that you had started while you were at Ford? So my startup was called Neep Magazine, which uh, is a Hindi word and it means foundation. Uh, and actually it was an online magazine for children. So my vision was to create, uh, it, it, to create an online magazine for children where they could read fiction in uh, both uh, English and Hindi, which is the, uh, the national language of India. So uh, and we also had audio support. So we were actually like the probably one of the first to think about that, you know, if children don't, uh, if they're not literate in a particular language, which a lot of children are not literate in Hindi or, you know, Indians living abroad are not necessarily, they cannot read Hindi. Uh, so uh, we included audio so that they could actually listen um, to the stories. And this was before Audible came into India. So I'm proud to say that we did something which was a little bit revolutionary at that point in time. Nice. So is, is Neve still around? No, so it didn't, it isn't around. So uh, funnily enough, the name was foundational. So it set the foundation for a lot of people, including my own career. But unfortunately, the startup itself did not survive. Oh, okay. Would you, it, it is, I don't know if, it, is, are you doing any kind of startup work now? And, and if not, is that something you would ever do again? Um, so, uh, so what I'm doing now actually is is also a startup. So I'm consulting uh, different startups. I'm consulting solopreneurs and um, you know entrepreneurs who don't have digital marketing support. So yes, I am in the startup space. Uh, but what I'm doing now is actually the knowledge that I have gained from my own startup and the challenges that I faced during that time. I'm now helping others overcome that challenge in a more efficient and you know budget friendly manner. So, like I said, it's the foundation of a lot of things. Nice. I mean, I did mention also that you have a, a podcast, your Digital Marketing Journey podcast. What was the motivation for starting the podcast and what do you hope people get out of it? So uh, when I started uh, my consultancy, which was in April, um, it had nothing to do with the pandemic, really. It was just that I quit my job and that's when I started my startup. And coincidentally, that's when pandemic hit. Um, I had the option uh, of blogging and that's how you know you build your brand awareness. Uh, but I also wanted to try a new medium because uh, part of the motivation of doing what I'm doing is also to learn. So I want to experiment with different marketing tactics so that I know what works and how it works and then how I can implement it to someone else. So um, I had been listening to a lot of marketing podcasts, um, you know, over the last couple of years and I had been reading their blogs. Um, and I thought that that was something that was missing at that point in time uh, in the Indian context. So that's what I wanted to start. Um, and just because of the pandemic, really, 
podcasting in india actually took off so we didn't have a very large population of people who were listening to podcasts in india but since april there's been like a 42% growth over month on month so people are listening to podcasts and they now understand how you know they can get information from that so when i started seeing the spike of how my podcast was performing that's when i thought okay let me uh, focus on this uh, full time not full time in the sense that i spend all my time on it but i believe that that is a brand, big brand awareness channel for me so um, i as of now i'm still continuing to use it um, you know as a brand awareness channel i'm not looking to monetize it i don't have ads on it in fact my podcast itself is very short it's only under 6 minutes but i feel that at least that is a medium that people will discover me uh, will have confidence in my capability and it it's also a way to make a connection with my audience nice i know you'd mentioned that the podcast is currently for brand awareness and that you're not monetizing it at, at this point at what point do you think that monetization would make sense for you uh, i'm not sure yet that uh, i would ever consider monetization because for me the podcast is itself a brand awareness tool to get more business so i don't think that i would ever be able to run ads for somebody else um, you know and, and that's a primary way of monetizing uh, but i think the the thing that i can get out of it is eventually if i have my own course or if i have a workshop then that's something that i can look at so it wouldn't be direct monetization of the podcast itself but yes i would get business out of it that's what i'm looking at perhaps in a year or so okay nice yeah actually i tuned into your podcast i really enjoyed it i like the fact that it's short so it it gives you a, a it gives you good information in a short amount of time i really enjoy that so there's so many podcasts out there that go you know they're, they're really long then so you have to listen to them and you're kind of waiting and hoping that you get something out of it after the hour long you know podcast but with yours it's if you can't get anything out of 6 minutes then uh, i don't know i don't know to tell you <laughs> it's, it's short and sweet i really like i really enjoy that So thank you thank you. You started up you started uh you started up back when you were working and then now you 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 have you work as a startup now or you you're self employed now. Was it always your idea to become self employed? Um no no I I would say that when I was working uh, at Ford I never really thought about being self employed because um no, nobody in my family is um self employed nobody has a business everybody is from service background or is everybody is wor- has worked at a you know a company so uh, i never thought i would be self employed but it was just at that particular stage of my life uh, it was quite close to midlife crisis so perhaps <laughs> that's <laughs> really what it was <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah so yeah at that age i think and and just from the experience that i had gained i felt that i was in a little bit of a rut and i wanted to try something different so i don't think the motivation really was self uh, self employment and for me right now also the motivation is not necessarily self employment it is actually learning new things um and that's really the motivation of doing what i'm doing right now Okay. And the work that you do with with solopreneurs in terms of helping them with the marketing, are you focused on certain industries or are you industry agnostic? No, I'm industry agnostic and that helps with the learning. So, like I'm working with uh, you know somebody in the hardcore engineering space, I'm working with somebody who's in the health space and who's um, you know working is a uh, children's publisher and everybody has different requirements and i think that's that's the thing that i enjoy the most that you know even though i'm doing literally the same thing for all of them but i have to think differently because everybody has a different audience and everybody has a different budget nice and then when also when it comes to marketing at least i used to work in medical devices and and when it came to the marketers 
I never really was sure. I hope you don't take offense to this. I wasn't sure what they did. So, so when it comes to the work that you do, is it difficult to, to convince people that this is money that you should be putting toward your marketing? Because it's kind of, and also it's kind of difficult when it comes to marketing to, to know, I guess, get that return on investment. If I put this money in, then I'm going to get this. But with the marketing, at least when I understand, you put this money in, you, you may get something, you may get nothing. But how do you convince the people that you're working with that this is money that should be, that, you, that, that they should spend on marketing? Yeah, I, I, I think you've captured it uh, very well when you say that um, first that you never understood what a marketer does and second is how do you see, how do you see the I, I mean, I know it sounds like, uh, <laughs> but that's the truth really, that's the truth. So um, from my own experience, like I said, when I was with the startup, even though I was looking at marketing, I was just never able to find somebody who would explain to me what they were doing. Um, so part of the reason why I have a podcast, part of the reason why I'm part of different entrepreneur networks is because I help people really understand. Um, and the second thing is I do sit down with them and uh, get their expectations right. So they may have a plan. They may want to do a Facebook ad and they may think that they will get X um, dollars, um, X um, uh, rupees of sales with that. But it doesn't work like that, right? There's a whole process behind it. There's a lot of things that you need to do. So uh, when I sit with the client, I always um, expect uh, that they have a clear goal, that what their expectation is, and then I discuss the goal with them. Um, and most of the time, what happens is that, you know, whatever it is that they want to do, they have to just tell me uh, what solution they want. If they start telling me that this is how I want you to do it, I have to explain it to them much further that, it may not happen that, you know, I'll get the same result because this is not how marketing works. Yes. Well, thank you for, for pointing out my ignorance and not knowing oh. what marketing is. I just, <laughs> you don't have to agree with me that quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just, I didn't know. But you, so I find it so interesting whenever engineers go into marketing because engineering, as you mentioned, in, even in your own job, it was so precise. You follow the checklist and you, and that was basically it. Not basically, but that was a lot of the job. But with marketing, there's so much that's up in the air. There's so much, un, so many, so many variables and so much unknowns. Was that difficult for you to make that transition from something that was so precise to something pretty much imprecise? Yes. Um, I'm not sure if I looked at it from that perspective to start off with, but definitely when I, when I'm working on anything related to marketing, I am trying to uh, kind of processize it as much as I can create a process out of it and be sure that at least I'm able to replicate it to get the same result. And that result may not be measurable, uh, but at least I know that, okay, in the ballpark, I know that by doing these, these things, something performs better or something performs worse. So um, I don't think I've found a formula for it, but yes, as an engineer, I am looking at uh, being able to kind of measure something, whatever way I can. Nice. So another question that I recently started asking all the female engineers that I speak to now, because now I'm really interested in it, because I, I've spoken to, at least on this podcast, I've spoken to a number of female engineers. And then after that, I've done some reading and just some research on my own, because I'm just curious about the subject. Have you ever heard of the term the leaky pipeline? leaky pipeline yeah so no essentially what it is yeah okay well so what it is essentially is the the phenomenon of women leaving engineering more so than men so even though the the at least around the world we've become a, little, a lot better at least historically 
at encouraging more women to go into engineering and science, just into the, you know, into the STEM fields, into technology, they leave these fields at a higher rate than men do. And people are trying to figure out why. And at least from what I what I've read the or, and seen, the the main reason, at least that I, that I can tell, is that the 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 in, the environment in engineering isn't welcoming to women, and so after a while they leave because of that, and they leave and then go into something else. So I'm just curious. I know you'd said that you, know, you were interested in marketing even based on you starting your startup, but did you leave? Was there anything that could have happened for you to have stayed in engineering? Or did you leave, I guess, did you leave disgruntled just in the industry in general? Or were you going to leave anyway because you wanted to do something else? No, I, I never, I never thought of, um, I never thought of that, you know, that I was a woman in a man's field. And I, I don't think I was ever made to feel that way either. So um, personally for me, no, that was not the reason why I left engineering. Um, for me, the reason was that I was doing something over and over again and I needed a change. Uh, maybe that's the, also the reason why, uh, you know, some women leave because maybe men are, uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just that, you know, it's not challenging enough after a while for a woman. Maybe they need more variety. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely for me, it was not the reason why I left. Oh, wow. That's the re that could be the reason. Palavi, the, the, the men don't mind doing, doing the work over and over again. The women need to be more mentally stimulated, so they got to leave something else. <laughs> That's what, that's what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could run a poll to see how many women agree with that. <laughs> you know, as I mentioned, I've been asking this question quite a bit now because I'm curious when, at least from the ones that I've asked so far, unless they're lying to me, most of them have said they've left because they just prefer to do something else. It wasn't because the wherever they were working, they were unhappy there. But, you know, I have a pretty small sample size, so I'm going to keep asking that question to see what the, what the answer is whenever I have the opportunity to speak to female engineers like yourself. So when it comes to to the public speaking in general, do you have per, do you have topics that you like to speak on? And if so, what are they? Yeah. So the only topics that I speak on are the topics that I have personally experienced myself. So if you ask me to talk about automotive, you ask me to talk about entrepreneurship, marketing. These are the topics that I'm comfortable speaking about. Um, and also the aspects of these topics that I would have experienced myself. So. Um, you probably know this already from talking to a lot of people, but uh, any kind of public speaking for an engineer or for anybody in a very core technical field comes very late in life because um, you're not you're not in the public eye from a uh, from a very early age unless you yourself are someone who likes to you know stand up in a room full of people and talk. So um, so that's why I'm still building my public speaking skills. So I'm only comfortable talking about the topics that I have experienced myself. Well, I don't think that's odd. That's the way it should be. Most people should talk about things they know about. It's got, and actually, you kind of get you get exposed when you speak about things that you don't know about. Especially if there are people in the audience that actually do know that your topic really well. They'll, they'll, they'll absolutely. They'll 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 definitely expose you when it comes to the Q and A part. And you're standing up there like a deer in headlights, trying to figure out the answer. You you know you don't know the answer. <laughs> so basically, yeah, you're right. Stick, stick to what you know. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that as well. Yeah. When it comes to the, the to public speaking also, is this something you've always been good at? And if not, what would you do to get better at it? Uh, no, definitely I've not been good at it. My hobbies as a child were reading 
and uh, staying indoors. So <laughs> definitely <laughs> not good at uh, leave leave aside public speaking. I think definitely not even not even good at socializing. Um, and in fact, I want to tell you this particular story. Uh, so when I started public speaking for the very first time, when I was presenting something at Ford, um, I had been there already for two three years, and I moved into a role which involved me presenting to very senior people, and I was in a quality role. Um, and even though there was a very clear set presentation, it was it had uh, very clear slides. I knew what I had to say on them. I still had to write down my script the first time. And when I say I'm writing down the script, I'm literally writing, good morning, everyone. My name is Pallavi. I'm so and so and I'm going to talk about this particular topic. So I wrote it down because I don't I didn't want to forget what I was going to say. That was the first time I did it. But obviously, as I did it over and over again, I didn't have to write down, good morning, everyone. My name is Pallavi. I got better at it. Now, at least I'm at that particular stage where if I have created a presentation myself or if I've created whatever, uh, you know, the public speeches like the podcast or anything, if I just write down bullet points and I think about it uh, through once, I'm good to talk. But if I'm uh, recording something, like if I'm recording a YouTube video, and even though I have the bullet points in mind, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So I try and keep getting it right. So I do kind of rephrase what I have said before and then see which one works better. But as of now, I think the bullet point thing, I'm, I'm there. I'm there right now. All right. Well, that's good. You know, your, your story sounds kind of similar to mine. So when I worked in medical devices, I also had to give presentations in front of senior management monthly. And it also was pretty standardized in the slides. I mean, I never wrote down good morning, but I, I certainly did those first few presentations. I, I, I did terribly because I wasn't, I, I wasn't very good at conveying the information in the way that these people in the audience could take in. So I oftentimes mm -hmm. would get questions that were what I thought I'd answered in the presentation, but because I didn't put it in a way that they could understand, that I was getting these questions again. That's really what was the catalyst to, for me to get better at public speaking. I didn't want to keep wasting my time or, or just looking like a fool every time I had to give these presentations in front of these people because, you know, the CEO and the COO, like big time people in the, in, were in the audience and I wanted to, you know, make myself look good. And at least with those first, with those first presentations, I definitely did not do that. But, <laughs> but, I, but I got better over time for sure. You, you touched on this uh, a bit, but perhaps you can go a bit more into it. Do you have a process for putting your presentations together? And if so, what is it? Um, so I think the process is uh, definitely I find out how much time I have uh, because that determines what I'm going to say. But other than that, um, I do create my slides from the uh, from the start uh, so that I know what I'm going to be talking about. And I do put uh, I still put the script in the notes, but I have bullet points um, on my slides. So uh, I guess the only thing that I really do or the only process that I have is I know how much time I have and I start creating, um, you know, the slides based on that. Before that, I do go through it once in my head so that I know what I'm going to be saying. Uh, but I don't actually do a dry run in the sense of recording it and all. I, I think I'm fairly comfortable with the topics that I'm talking about. I'm fairly comfortable now that I, I can do it. If it's a new topic, then definitely a lot more work goes into it. I do a lot more research. Um, so that I have some solid figures that I can talk about, and it's not just um, you know full of fluff. It needs to have uh, it needs to have data behind everything that I'm saying. So yeah, I do that. Yeah, well, yeah, data is certainly important for those technical presentations. And when I was when I first started giving presentations, I didn't I didn't think about the importance of storytelling when it comes to even technical presentations, because if it's too data heavy, people will, will won't pay attention, especially those who are are not in that field. 
it, and it's really important to kind of draw them in with, with stories. So that's something I definitely had to, to learn as I got better at public speaking. And I really commend you for taking into account timing. I have a friend who makes fun of me that I take timing into account too. So if I know if I have 15 minutes, I'm not going to take 20 minutes to give the presentation. I'm going to take maybe 14 to have that one minute buffer. So I'm definitely not going to go over time, especially when you're giving presentations at conferences. If you go over time, then that throws off the entire agenda. And okay. then and then I don't get to go eat lunch when I'm supposed to go eat lunch because everything is, 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 <laughs> is, not, is not happening on time. Now I'm hungry. I'm sitting in the audience. I'm mad at the person that's presenting, even though maybe it's not his fault or her fault because she had to start or he or she had to start later because somebody else went over time. Yeah, I, I'm, so kudos to you for, for even thinking about timing when, when putting your presentations together. Thanks. And then another thing I wanted to ask about is nerves. Do you ever get nervous when you give or before you give presentations? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? Yeah, I do get nervous. Um, um, I don't get nervous to the point where it's visible. Uh, and uh, I don't think I do anything about it. Uh, I think the level of nerves depends on the topic that I'm talking about. And because I'm talking about topics that I've uh, you know, already experienced, my nervousness is definitely lesser. Um, I do take, like I do try and center myself before, before the time, before the presentation, I don't meet anyone. I spend about 15 minutes just by myself in the room or wherever it is that I'm giving a presentation and I don't look at anybody else, but I just go through my slides one more time so that there are no surprises when, you know, I'm presenting. Um, but over time, because I have been speaking a lot and, um, you know, I am kind of in that mind space where I know that I'm going to be speaking in front of people. Uh, when I get up on stage or when I'm uh, actually presenting, I'm not that nervous because then I'm in the flow of what I'm talking. So it works out fine that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when it comes to nerves, I'm a big, I'm a big believer that if you're not at least a little nervous before you give presentations, it's because you don't care about that presentation. I mean, it's a, and, and if I, I truly believe that if, if you actually care about what the people are in the audience are getting out of, of, of your message, then you're going to, you're, you're, you might be nervous about being able to, to deliver what you, what the, what they expect or what you hope they get. You know, when it comes to also public speaking, you gave some really great tips. I, I was writing them down, you know, keeping, keeping track of time when, when it comes to, you know, preparing your speeches is, is really important. And then centering yourself, I thought it was a really good, a really good tip. You know, before you actually get up there and then also speaking on what you know i mean that seems rather obvious but it's it's a, it's a excellent tip don't try to go outside of your comfort zone and talk about things you know at least do some good do quite a bit of research before getting up there and talking about something perhaps that you didn't know all that much about beforehand do you, can you offer any other tips that could help people in becoming more effective at public speaking yeah so one i've learned from my own experience and i think a lot of uh uh, people who come from a technical background will face this. Uh, in fact, I believe it's a drawback is that we are too precise. So like you mentioned that, you know, when you were when you gave your first presentation, you thought you had already answered the question that the audience was asking. Uh, and I think that's something that um, uh, technical people believe because we are so precise that when we are talking, we are so direct. We are so to the point that, um, you know, we just don't we just don't build a story. We get straight to the point. And when you're talking to people who are um, even a little bit different uh, from you in terms of their, uh, you know, their background or they don't understand the subject, I think it is very important to kind of just build, you know, get to get to that, uh, get to the punchline, but get there at the end. Like, don't start from it. So 
um i have i think consciously over the years um, and i'm still not great at it i'm still not a great storyteller but consciously over the years um by putting pointers in my slides where i have to pause for a joke or i have to pause for an example or you know kind of explain myself i do that a lot because otherwise my presentation would be over in 5 minutes and nobody would understand anything and they'd be like okay i didn't understand anything from what she said i don't care how great she was but i didn't understand anything so um i think storytelling is something that uh, technical people really need to focus on unless you had it naturally yeah i i'm i'm a firm believer in storytelling now too it wasn't always that way but it certainly is that way now is there anything else that you'd like to mention about things you're working on palavi um no not at the moment i think we covered a lot of things today all right wonderful how can people get in touch with you all right so um i think the best way would be to find me on instagram so i'm at uh, pallavi26 tech uh, which is where uh, which is also part of what i do um i do deliver a lot of knowledge and a lot of uh, snackable marketing tips that's the best way otherwise i'm on linkedin again pallavi tyagi people can find me there wonderful Well everyone that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I am the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. Consider checking out Teach the Geek this week. It's an online public speaking course and you can find out more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Palavi. Thanks, Neil. Well everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. We're on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.